I, I was so curious that I did a search of my own. And I typed in these words, why are Christians so authentic? Right? Because we're taught to focus on the good and taught to focus on the positive. And I was so excited when I saw the search results, City Church, because I saw 8 million hits. 8 million search results for why Christians are so authentic. And I started doing the cabbage patch, and, uh, <laughs> running man. And I was like, you know, I, I, think, I think we've got it right. Until I did the second search, which was why are Christians so fake? And I got 56 million hits. Seven times more people think of the church as fake than authentic. And you say, Pastor Ray, what's that all about? It's simply because we're in a series, an extensive and an extended series, where we're revisiting the vision and values of City Church. They're not the best. They're not better than anyone else's. They are just ours. And these are the things that we have said we will prioritize as devoted Christ followers. In fact, one of my favorite movies is Ben Kingsley's Gandhi, which won an Academy Award in the early 80s. And in the movie, there's a scene in, in, in one of the opening scenes where Gandhi goes into a church in South Africa. And he's kicked out of the church for being of Indian descent. Christians kicked Gandhi out of the church because of the hue of his skin. What that, that cleric, that pastor did not know was that at the time, Gandhi was a seeker. And he was exploring this idea of becoming a devoted Christ follower. And that one incident altered the trajectory of his life. And he walked away saying this. I love their Christ. I don't like their Christians. Their Christians are so unlike Christ. This whole idea of, of passive resistance he got that from studying the Bible. Yet he refused to become a Christian because of his personal experience with people who said they were Christ followers. And we live in a world and a culture that has a hard time reconciling what they read in God's word and how they see us live. And so at City Church, we're going to prioritize this idea of making our lives look like Jesus. So that our testimony is not why are Christians so fake or judgmental or divided or dishonest, but that our testimony, that the first thought that people have when they think of a Christian is that, man, these people are authentic. Why are these people so loving, not judgmental? Why are these people so kind, not critical? And so here at City Church, we're not only a community that is gospel-shaped, where we allow the word of God to inform how we live, think, and act, but we're also a community of believers that value authentic community. In fact, our anchor text for this series of messages is lifted from Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, where the scripture says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the word of God, they were gospel-shaped, and fellowship. Koinonia, koinonia, which means several things. Close association, and we said this last week, close association means that I let you close enough so you can see my scars. And that's part of the problem with the church. We love at a distance because we're uncomfortable with people seeing who we really are. And so we have a, a semblance of community, but it's not authentic community. We talked about joint participation, that where koinonia happens, everybody does their part. And thirdly, koinonia denotes intimacy. Intimacy one with another. And so we've discovered that in the scriptures, there are about 13 one another statements that frame what authentic community should look like. 
about 13, not 13 one another statements, but 13 categories actually. There are 116 one another statements. That infers that maybe God wanted us to really get this thing called authentic community if he said it 116 times. And that's one of the things that we're committed to as a church, that we will value authentic community, not what the church unfortunately has become, where our testimony is that these guys are fake and hypocritical. We want to be the real deal. We want to be genuine and we want to be authentic. So here it is once again, and I do this on purpose. Here are the 13 one another statements. 13 categories that repeat approximately 116 times in Scripture. Number one, love one another. And, and this is what I, I, I know. Oh, Pastor Ray, I got that. You know. John 3.16, I got that. Yet when we read 1 Peter 1.22, it talks about sincere love, insincere love. You know what that denotes? That there is a kind of love that is not sincere, that is hypocritical. That is fake. He says, insincere love, insincere love of the brethren, love one another. There's that statement, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Last week, I showed you the illustration of the, of the rubber band. That word, to love fervently, means to stretch. To stretch. To stretch in your love. To go beyond what is comfortable and convenient in loving another person. Number two, it says pray for one another. And we discovered that the scripture says we don't only pray for people we like, people we love, people who are nice to us. It says love your enemies. Bless those who you persecute you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Hold up now. You want me to pray for somebody who's using me? Absolutely. 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 Number three, it says build up one another. Number four, give preference to one another. Number five, serve one another. Number six, do not judge one another. Number seven, be patient with one another. We're going to spend some time on that one. You know what patience is? Patience is simply learning to move at somebody else's pace. And that can be a frustrating place to be. Not just moving at somebody else's pace, but learning to move at God's pace. When God gives Abraham a promise and says, you're going to be the father of many nations, and it is not fulfilled for 25 years. Abraham had to learn how to move at God's pace. Where David is anointed king at 16, but he doesn't become king. He doesn't sit on the throne till he's 30. Or what about Joseph who has this dream of greatness and it doesn't happen for 13 years. He's 17 years old. He has a promise from God and he has to learn to move at God's pace. I wonder if there's anybody in here who can identify with that where it seems like life is moving slower than you plan. Or the people in your life are moving a lot slower than you hoped. Scripture says be patient with, number, with one another. Number eight, forgive one another. We're going to spend a lot of time there too. Number nine, confess your faults to one another. That's James chapter 5. And we're going to spend a lot of time there because, again, the text doesn't say confess your faults to God. It says confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. James chapter 5 and verse 16. We're going to talk about that. Uh, number 10, comfort one another. 11, receive one another. That's one of the ones I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited about that one because it changed my life. Number 12, be of the same mind toward one another. And number 13, have peace with one another. So if you weren't here last week, we covered uh, number one and two, what loving fervently looks like, what loving 
authentically and without hypocrisy looks like, and, uh, and also prayer. Today, 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 we're going to start with number three, which is build up one another. Build up one another. That's one of the things that you and I are invited into, that as devoted Christ followers, we should seek out opportunities to make somebody else's life better than when we met them. Dr. Martin Luther King said it this way. Life's most urgent and persistent question is what are you doing for others? Yet we live in a generation that is so self-absorbed and self-centered. Where we have hit songs like, what have you done for me lately? Janet Jackson. Anybody remember that? That early 80s, Janet used to hit that snake like that. Yet life's most urgent and persistent question is, what are you doing for others? When was the last time you stopped long enough to invest in somebody else? When was the last time you stopped to build somebody else up with no expectation of reciprocation of the kindness you've shown? One of the things we say here at City Church is, when you give expecting something in return, what you have created is a debt or an obligation. Jesus never said you will reap where you've sown, but he said you will always reap what you sow. And so most of us go through life and we do kind deeds and we build people up and we have high expectation that our kindness will be reciprocated from that same place. And we walk away disappointed sometimes because our kindness is not always reciprocated where we've sown. But the promise that God gives is that he will always, always Give us a harvest on what we've sown. And there are many of us in this building that have stopped doing what we know to do because of one disappointment. Because we invested somewhere and didn't get the return that we expected from where we sowed. And we just stopped building people up. We stopped saying kind words. We stopped complimenting people. We stopped stopping long enough to help somebody who needed it because we got burned once. And let me tell you what happens when we do that. The world no longer benefits from the best of what we have to offer. We shut it down. And this is what the scripture says in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Let's put that text on the screen. Hebrews chapter 10. This is what the scripture says. It says, let us not, let us, I'm sorry, let us think of ways. <laughs> let me stop right there. <laughs> this, is what, this is what the writer of Hebrews said. He says the way we should conduct ourselves is we should think of ways. That as we go through life, Let's begin to to be imaginative and creative and innovative in terms of how we can motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Devote your life to motivating others toward acts of love and good works. Verse 25 says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Come on, he's talking about church attendance now. He said, go to church on Sunday. Listen to what else it says. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. What he's saying is the closer we get to the return of Jesus, the more intentional we should be about encouraging one another and motivating one another toward acts of love and good works. That should be a part of our modus operandi. Every single day, think of some way that you can challenge somebody to be a little bit better. In fact, that's how our lives, our success, true biblical success is measured. In fact, let me say it this way. Success is what happens to you, but significance is what happens through you. And the question for us this morning, if we're going to be an authentic community of faith, let's stop long enough to ask ourselves, when was the last time I allowed God to do something through me? I want you to stop and think about that for a second. When was the last time I allowed God to use my mouth 
Let's start there. To build someone else up. To speak words of life and encouragement. Not over someone who was excellent at what they did, but maybe even someone who was mediocre. Because all they needed to hear was one person who believed in them. And at City Church, at City Church, part of our DNA is that we're going to motivate each other towards acts of love. And we're going to motivate each other to be our very best for God and for each other. You know the kind of church we're becoming? The kind of church we're becoming is a church a lot like the early church where there was a man named Barnabas. In fact, Barnabas wasn't even his real name. That was a name that people gave him because of how he lived. And that name Barnabas, that nickname Barnabas, Barnabas means son of encouragement. Barnabas was such an encourager that people couldn't ignore it. And there are so many things about Barnabas' life that are noteworthy, but let me just tell you one of them. In Acts chapter 9, uh, there's a guy named Saul who has this radical conversion experience on his way to Damascus. Y'all know the story. Saul was on his way to persecute Christians. In fact, when Stephen was stoned, when Stephen became the first martyr in the early church, the scripture says it. Read Acts chapter 8. Saul was the one holding the cloaks and the garments of the men who stoned Stephen to death. Saul had a reputation for terrorizing the early church. And the scripture says one fateful day on his way to Damascus to do nothing else but persecute more Christians, he has this radical conversion experience. He comes face to face with Jesus and his life is transformed forever. The problem with that conversion experience is simply this. Your reputation will precede you everywhere you go. So now he's walking with Jesus, but no one wants to have anything to do with him. So the narrative picks up in Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. And this is what Luke writes in Acts chapter 9. He says, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. He said, I'm one of y'all now. In spite of my past, in spite of the bad choices and decisions I made, I am one of you now. I now call upon the name of Jesus, the very same person whose sons and daughters and converts I persecuted. I signed off on their assassinations and their murders, but I'm one of you now. Hmm. <laughs> this is what I know about, about human nature. We judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions. So he shows up and the disciples are like, hey, man, you're a murderer, dude. You're the guy that was killing us. And listen to what the scripture says. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Be careful who you write off prematurely. Hmm? Be careful who you write off prematurely. Because that person that God may have sent your way who has a colorful checkered past may be the very person that God needs you to invest in. Be careful not to write a person off prematurely because of their past. So he shows up, he's had this conversion experience, and, and those people will come through our doors, y'all. Those people will come through our doors looking for people who will love them fervently. Be careful not to write them off. In fact, those people will come into your life, not just through the doors of City Church, but they'll come through your life in your neighborhood, on your jobs. And what is our response going to be? Uh, uh, so it goes on, it says, but Barnabas, of all the people in the church, only Barnabas took him and he brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road 
and that he had spoken to Jesus and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. What am I saying? Sometimes in life, all you need is one person to vouch for you. This guy that the early church rejected is responsible for two-thirds of the Old Test of the New Testament. What we read in Scripture now came from the pen of a man that the church rejected, but for the kindness and the encouragement of Barnabas. And sometimes it's human nature to follow the crowd. If everybody don't like him, I ain't going to like him either. Barnabas went against the green. And he vouched for Paul, a guy who had murdered Christians, had killed them in cold blood. And this guy named Barnabas brings him and says, nah, man, this guy is a different man. You know what the, the scripture calls us to? It calls us to build up one another. And my challenge to you is to begin to consider that in your own life personally. When was the last time you just stopped to encourage somebody who didn't look like they had it all together? In fact, it may even be somebody that somebody warned you about. No, don't mess with them. Yet you could be the catalyst that will change their life forever. We're not just called to love one another. We're not just called to pray for one another. But we're called to build each other up. To build each other up. To build each other up. To be encouragers. Number four is give preference to one another. Give preference to one another. Let's look at Romans 12, 10. And there we find it says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. And when Ray and I were studying this out, I uh, looked in one of the uh, commentaries for preference. I looked up this scripture, and it says, preferring one another means anticipating one another. So it goes back to uh, the scripture you gave us in Hebrews 10, let us think of ways. So if I'm going to anticipate something, I'm going to be prepared for it. I'm already thinking about it ahead of time. It says the Christian is to take the initiative to show honor or respect to others without waiting for them to show it. And I know that can be a big deal if you are from uh, the old church. I, I think I'm the last of the old schools, born in 1970, and there was just a hierarchy always of respect. And God is showing us that the, the, the playing field is level, is that as a Christ follower, not as a leader, but as a Christ follower, I am to anticipate kindness. I am to anticipate giving preference to one another. Let's look at 1 Samuel 18. And I asked Kelly to show the voice translation, and we're going to look at uh, giving preference from the scripture. In 1 Samuel 18, starting with verse 1, it says, by the time David had finished speaking to Saul, Saul's son Jonathan was bound to, friend to David in friendship. And Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Saul took David into his service that day and would not let him return to his father's home. And so Saul, as we know, is king right now. And he liked everything about David. So he just said, you are not going home from this point on. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as he loved himself. He took the robe he wore and gave it to David and also his armor, sword, bow and belt, symbolically transferring to David his right to ascend the throne. So what we have is King Saul and his son Jonathan. 
When David comes to the palace, Saul is like, wow, this guy has been a shepherd. He's, the Bible says he was a redhead, good-looking, strong. He had taken down a lion and the bear, Goliath. And Saul was like, I want you on my team. When they met, Jonathan loved David in friendship as he loved himself. And as the king's son, he knew David was anointed. And he gave up his right to be prince to be the next king of the throne, and not just gave up his right, he rendered himself defenseless. We see that when it says that he gave also not just his robe, saying you're the son now, you're the chosen one, you're the heir to the throne, but he gave his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. His belt that represents security, the bow, that's a weapon, the sword, that's a weapon, armor protection. So Jonathan so preferred David above himself that he rendered himself completely defenseless, completely open, because he recognized the call of God. And our culture, as you already mentioned earlier, we are a culture that is always thinking, what about me? Me first. If I give this to you, then what is in it for me? Right, right. And, and I think there a lot of times there, there's, um, uh, uh, we... Uh, Thomas Aquinas said it this way. If the primary aim of the captain were to preserve his ship, it would never leave port. That's the way most of us live our lives. We're too afraid of the risk to actually set sail. And we say, look, I'm going to love you, but I'm not going to love you like that. I'm not going to go all in because I might be disappointed. And notice what Jonathan did by giving David by giving David his, his armor, he was saying, I'm defenseless against you. I've got nothing to use to protect myself against you if you choose to turn against me. And number two, he said, I give you my sword. I'm powerless to harm you. Even if I wanted to hurt you, I ain't got nothing to use to hurt you. And even if I wanted to protect myself, I got nothing to use to protect myself. And the question that I've been asking lately is, when was the last time you evaluated your friendships? What's the criteria we use for friendships? How many people do you have in your life right now who will give up what they have so that you can go first? How many of us would be willing to give up the right to the throne to be a successor to my father? and give it to someone else because I see the hand of God on their life. That's what the scripture says, giving preference to one another. And we see this principle throughout the scriptures. We see it with John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist is the number one preacher. Jesus shows up, and Jesus is now more successful than John the Baptist. John the Baptist could have started tripping and said, I gave Jesus his first platform. Nobody knew who he was until I endorsed him. The audacity of this carpenter's son to try and take my people. The scripture says that John's disciples started to follow Jesus. When was the last time you preferred somebody and says, you before me? We see it in the Old Testament with, with Abraham and Lot. When Abraham and Lot's uh, herdsmen had conflict and they said, the land is too small to sustain us both. This is, what, this, is what Abra, this is what Abraham said to Lot. He said, Lot, you go first. You pick first. When was the last time in our relationships that we gave preference to somebody else and said, you go first? Because that's what authentic community looks like. I have a good example of it in this story. Uh, it's got so much in it, generosity, preferring others, love, building one another up. So about six years ago, seven years ago, when we were getting ready to start City Church, is a really tough time. Levi had just been born. Uh, raised parents were living with us. We were transitioning from being on staff at a church where you know your checks are coming in to him getting ready to. How many of you realize when you quit your job, they stop paying you? They, they stop paying you. Okay. So there are six of us living off of one staff church position, not lead, 
staff positions, six of us in a home in Little Elm. And at that, I was a bowler on a budget. <laughs> Sorry for interrupting. I keep interrupting. And so you all know that Lolita does my hair. And at that time, uh, it's been about eight years we know each other now. I met her through Lisa. At that time, it, we only had maybe a year and a half in, maybe just a year because Levi was, was younger. And so I just called her one day. I had a standing appointment, and I'm, we're look, going over the budget, and there are some things I want to do for my mother-in-law, and just both of us can't get our hair done and our nails done in that season. So I called Lolita up and I said, hey, I'm going to cancel my hair appointment and I'll just come whenever I can. We're just in a season now. We need to do something different. And this was her response. Mm-mm. You just come on in. We're not going to do that. So I show up and she's finishing up a client. I think she had two. So she had me to wait because I had a standing appointment. And she said, babe, I have prayed about it. I've talked thought about it and she said I know you and Pastor Ray are called you're trying to get this church up out of the ground and she told me this I don't want you to ever look like your decision was a bad decision she didn't know me she said I don't want you looking like oh we're suffering and we're struggling she said let me let me let me put this in perspective sorry for interrupting your story (laughs) she said it she said it there was six of us on an associate pastor's salary for over a year. Six of us. Let me tell you something. Y'all, you need to honor your parents. Amen. Honor them. Take care of your parents. And even though we had to make sacrifices and stretch, not only for our family personally, but to get this church off the ground. To downsize and live in a two-bedroom apartment in Fairview for two years to get this church off the ground. It's important to have people in your life who love you and care for you enough, who, say, and who, who would say to you, girl, you coming in here, and I'm going to whip that hair every single Saturday you come in here. Because we never want you to look like you made a bad decision. Those are the kind of friends you need in your life. Those are the kind of people you need in your life. Those are the kind of people you need in your life. Go ahead, baby. And at the time, Lolita didn't go to City Church. She was plugged in serving, had her own ministry at another church, and has a business. And she said, give me what you can give me, and if you can't, then that's fine. Lolita did my hair for almost two and a half. She did it for a full two years with little or no money. Every single Saturday, every single week for two and a half years, she did my hair. And I, may, I only remember her giving her $50 in that, in, that, in that time because we ended up sending our parents, uh, raised parents back to Liberia in that time. We've got other family. His oldest brother is still in Liberia. We send money to. Levi was a newborn. Nia's in kindergarten. And we're moving in all of this. And not one time did she ever act like she was doing my hair for free. That's another one there. Ooh, never once acted. You know how we get sometimes. Let me leave that right there. <laughs> you know how we act when we're helping people? Yeah. Let everybody know what we're doing. Hmm? And create that, that debt. I'm doing your hair for free, so don't be asking me for no color. <laughs> you get a rinse and set. Is that what it is? It can be that today. You get a rinse and set. Don't be asking for no options. No, for two and a half years. What's the principle of giving preference in this, though? The principle is, is there was nothing for her to gain. Nothing. And she, was, she hadn't even started really praying about coming to City Church. She just wanted to bless the man and woman of God. And she did that. And when time was up, we didn't beat around the bush. She sat down. She said, babe. 
We're going to have to do something different in this season because then it became her turn. By that time, we were on our feet. And I went, I mean, I'm, I've gone to Lolita. When my hair was natural, I just went for the, the checkups. We're back. I pay her every week. <laughs> I pay her now. Thank L- you, Jesus. Lolita be getting her money, though. Yes, yeah, and as she should. The Bible says give the prophet his prophet's honor. So I just say that, to yes, to, to highlight the gift of God that Lolita is in our lives. But she did this without being a part of our church, with having her own ministry, it's her own business. She had her own family. And not only did she do my hair every week, I was her first client every single week. Preference with nothing in return. And all she had, she just knew me through Lisa. That's it. And she just, that was her statement. I don't ever want you to look like your decision was a bad decision. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, good. Amen. I just- Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lolita. Bless. Stand up, Lolita, because if you want to get your hair as fly as mine, it's from her. <laughs> Amen. And there are just other stories. That one is because there wasn't that relationship. We weren't friends yet or anything. We have been blessed by there are so many in here from the Washingtons, from Anita Weekend, that have blessed us. But that was the one situation that kind of, matter of fact, it was last Sunday afternoon, because I try to prepare to keep up with this brilliant mind right here. I already started thinking after church, okay, what is my part next week? And that came to us. (gasps) And I ran downstairs. I said, baby, when I do prefer one another, this is a story that I want to give. I mean, it was so, I couldn't shake this thing. We ended up just calling her on Monday. I just prayed for her because I remember what she did for me. And I said, let's just, let's just call her right now and just pray God's blessing over her because I don't ever want to forget somebody being that good. No, that's powerful. The, the question then becomes, what am I doing for someone else sacrificially? Just sacrificially. Lolita didn't have to do that. But she did it anyway, sacrificially. This is what the scripture says. This is what the scripture says. Do not withhold good when it is within your power to do so. Don't say to that person, go and come back tomorrow when it is within the power of your hand right now. Listen to that. That means if it's within your power to help somebody, don't pray about it. Help them. If that person is dishonest, that is between them and God. But if it is within your power to help somebody, don't give them the runaround. That's Proverbs chapter 3. If it's within the power of your hand to do something, help them. And that's why John Wesley said this, and I, and I posted this on, on Instagram. Do all the good you can to as many people as you can, in as many ways as you can, as often as you can, and as long as you can. That's the kind of church we are becoming. And it will grow, this church will become increasingly uh, uh, uncomfortable if you're not given, if you're not given to giving preference to others. City Church will become increasingly uncomfortable because that's what's going to be required of you to be a part of our community of faith. To go out of your way to do something sacrificial for someone else. Notice, sacrificial. It cost me something to help you. Most of us want to live our lives where it costs us nothing to help somebody else. That's not what koinonia is. Koinonia says, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to give something up in order to help you. Which brings me to our next point, which is serve one another, but I'm not going to do that one today. I'm going to do another one. Can I do another one? Receive one another. Receive one another. Is that number 11? Terrell, I jump way ahead, and this is where we're going to close. Receive one another. Ultimately, that's what Lolita did. Didn't go to our church, but she received my wife. Romans chapter 15 and verse 7 says, 
Therefore, receive one another. Just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And sometimes I just wonder the church would look like if we just received one another. That word receive means to open your heart with eagerness. Just for us to open our hearts to people. I wonder how much happier we would be. I wonder how much happier we would be. if we just received one another. And so the scripture says, receive one another just as Christ also received us. He didn't make us jump through hoops. He didn't wait until we got our act together. He didn't wait until we were perfect and had all of our ducks in a row. He received us just as we were. And that's why here at City Church we say it's okay not to be okay. But it's okay, it's not okay to stay that way. And I don't know why I'm emotional about it. But I know that my mother's generosity saved my life. 27 years ago. Because she received a woman who was selling oranges and because she bought some candy for her son and gave him an orange on a day that he was starving and they were so poor that this child couldn't have, his mom couldn't afford to give him an orange. And here's my mom who was the wife of a senator in Liberia who was standing at the, uh, um, the entrance to our home and sort of this driveway and she was standing there and this lady's walking by and this lady, they would always stop and they would speak uh, uh, Gribble, which is my mom's ethnic tongue. And um, unfortunately in Liberian culture, most people think that if you're well off and well to do, that you only speak English. And so here's this lady, here's the senator's wife, and here's this lady walking by, and her son would play. And, and, and so that one act of kindness uh, would save my life. Several years later, when I came face to face with this young man, I didn't even know who he was. I didn't even know that my mom had done that for him. And when he had the power to execute me and my brother, this is the story that he tells. That when I was a little boy, my mom and I would walk past your house and your mom would speak to my mom in gribble. And these were his words. He said, your mom was a senator's wife. I didn't even know that she knew how to speak gribble. What this young man didn't know is that when my mom met my dad, she was a single mom. And my Grandmother, my dad's mother, despised my mom. Didn't think she was good enough to marry her senator's son and had somebody else picked out for him. My maternal grandmother, my mother's mother, never learned to read or write. And when my mom saw this woman walking past our house who could do absolutely nothing for her, I believe she saw her own mother in this woman. 
never forget where you came from. Don't ever let the fact that now you're a senator's wife and you travel all over the world and you have everything you need ever cause you to lose sight of the fact that you came from humble beginnings. And because my mom received this woman just as she was, I am alive today. And one of these days, I'll tell you the whole story. And this is where I close, but look at what James chapter 2 Look at what James chapter 2 says. In fact, Hebrews said, be careful how you treat strangers because you might be entertaining angels unaware. Notice what what the scripture says about how we ought to receive people in James chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Don't have a double standard for how you receive people. For if there should come into your assembly, if somebody should show up here at City Church on a Sunday morning, a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in the good place on the front row with Pastor Ray and Pastor Wendy. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? And heirs of the kingdom of God, the people that writing off because they don't have the status or the title or the achievement or the accomplishment. Aren't these the people that God has chosen to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. That man or that woman that's unemployed, they don't have a job, they're struggling. You've dishonored him. You don't even pay attention to him. He ain't got nothing for you, so he ain't got nothing for him. And it happens in the house of God. The reason we even reached out to the kids at the Boys and Girls Club is because of this. The reason we paid for those 10 scholarships is because of this. And it says you're treating the poor man the way you treat him. But listen to what it says. It says, doesn't the rich man oppress you? The person you're giving all the attention to is the person who's mistreating you. Receive one another. This is why I close. Last year, Wendy gets a call from someone we hadn't seen in years since Bible college, 2001. So we hadn't seen her in 15 years. We get a call from this lady, hadn't seen her in 15 years. Bible, this is what she said. Say, hey, Wendy, I'm in Dallas. Can I come stay with y'all? Say, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just on the south side of Dallas, but where are you guys living? Didn't really give us the option to say no. But we received her. And she stayed with us for a week. <laughs> uh, some of y'all processing. <laughs> She called, she was already in Dallas, stayed with us for a week from South Carolina. She just felt like the Lord said, go check on Ray and Wendy. She didn't even call when she left her house. She called after she was here. Somebody said, receive one another. So she stays with us for a week. And then one day she says, hey, man, um, I'm going to take the kids shopping. It's a few weeks before uh, school uh, started. I said, I'm just going to take the kids shopping. So she bought all these clothes for the kids. Didn't ask them. Didn't ask her to. Took both of our kids shopping. Then she did this big seafood bowl. Had everything in it. All the creatures from the deep blue ocean were in that that pot. (laughs) 
Come on. I was sucking crawfish heads and no, no, I, I don't eat crawfish. Just, I just want it for dramatic effect. <laughs> you got you to gotta embellish the story a little bit. But yeah, she hooked up that crawfish ball, man, just went the extra mile. And then when she left, she just wrote us a check for $1,000. Now, why, why do I say that? The, the, the first reaction is, She's coming and she want to stay with us because she ain't got no money to stay in a hotel. In the back, no, let's be real now. In the back of your mind, you're thinking she's coming because she wants something. And she's about to inconvenience me. When without telling us why she was coming, she drove from South Carolina just to bless our family. Now, would she have done the same thing if we had put her up in a hotel or something? She may have. But we received her. Just as Christ received us to the glory of God. So the scripture says, what's that scripture under there? Be hospitable. This is what the Bible calls us to. It says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Now, this is authentic Christianity I'm talking about. I ain't talking about the fake stuff that we've been doing for years. This is a command. Be hospitable to one another and do it without grumbling. So if you're going to be a part of City Church, this is how we love and receive and serve one another. I'm talking about all this. It's not about how high you jump when you're jumping. It's about how straight you walk when you walk in. And this is what koinonia, this is what the early church had. And this is what God calls us to. This is what God calls us to. When was the last time you just opened your home to receive somebody? Somebody who maybe was single and away from their family. And on Thanksgiving, you don't even invite them. At Christmas, don't invite them. And there are people in our church who are lonely. And they're in church every Sunday morning and nobody will receive them. Just take them out for a cup of coffee. Because you have no idea. You have no idea how receiving them may enrich your life. You think you're doing something for them? The opposite might be true. So let us learn to receive one another, to take to oneself, to take in, to grant one access to your heart. Father, we ask you to seal this word in our hearts and to help us.